You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Happy Easter. Good to see you today. Thank you for coming out to worship with us. And if I've not met you yet, my name is Bill, Pastor Bill. Be down front. Be glad to speak with you and uh, answer any questions you may have. This Easter Sunday, we're wrapping up this series that we've called Spotlight. We got the term Spotlight because we're talking about the glory of God. And the glory of God is like a light shining down. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so every time you see something good, every time you see something heroic, every time you see something noble, every time you see something that is going to make the world a better place and lift people up, give God the glory because it's supposed to shine a light on the fact that God who loves us best, knows us best and loves us most is shining a light down on us. And so that's what the glory is all about. We've been looking through John's gospel at encounters with God's glory. And today we're going to do the same. And uh, if you have your scripture with you, or if you're following along in the Riverside app, we are at the last chapter in John's gospel, chapter 21. And I want to begin because this is really a comeback story. Do you like comeback stories? Well, last Sunday, um, when I was in church uh, with many of you, um, there was this drama taking place, this momentous drama taking place down in Augusta, Georgia. And if I wasn't the pastor and scheduled to preach that day, and if I wasn't able to record it, I might have come down with a little bit of a headache to stay home and watch it. It was so important. Now, if you're not a golf fan, you could care less. But those of us who are golf fans, it was momentous. And it's the story of Tiger Woods coming back from behind to win the Masters Tournament. And it's interesting that when Tiger sunk that putt on the 18th hole to win by one stroke, first time ever coming from behind to win it, Jim Nance, the commentator, said a return to glory in Jim Nance's only way that he could say it. It had been 11 years since Tiger had won a major tournament. He had already won 14. The most any golfer has ever won was 18, and that's Jack Nicholas. and Tiger was hoping to get past that. Well, anyhow, he, uh, he had had an 11-year hiatus, and, and we all know his story, right? I mean, he had a setback, but it was a self-inflicted setback to begin with. And... Uh, he went through public humiliation, a divorce, and then he went through all kinds of health problems, multiple injuries, had a DUI address, uh, arrest, had several back surgeries. The last one was a spinal fusion from which he thought he might never be able to swing a golf club again. And so here he won his first major tournament at the Masters after that 11-year hiatus. And the interesting thing was his first major tournament win was at the Masters when he was a rookie on tour at 21 years of age, and he won the Masters tournament. And those of you that might remember an epic scene in that was when he walked off the green, his father was there who wasn't supposed to be there because he had heart problems. And the doctor finally said, well, if you want to be there, fly there at your own risk. And his dad was there, and Tiger walked off, and they had this great big hug. This week, when he won, he walked off, and his 11-year-old boy was there. And uh, I think his 11-year-old Charlie was there at the same spot that his father, who had long passed away, Charlie never met his grandfather, the same spot he hugged his son. And 
I don't know of too many people that couldn't get a little bit of teary-eyed whenever they saw that. And some sports writers, many of them are saying, this is the greatest sports comeback story in all of history. I love a comeback story. Everybody loves the glory of a comeback story. And then last Monday, the whole world watched in horror as they saw the great cathedral, Notre Dame, on fire. And we saw the crowd standing outside, singing and praying that the place wouldn't completely fall to the ground. And when they woke up the next morning, they were relieved to see that the frame, the structure was still in existence. And, and the prime minister, and they said, we're going to rebuild this. And within days, they had raised over a billion dollars from believers and unbelievers alike to rebuild this place. Why would people do that? Because everybody loves the glory of a comeback story. Today, we are celebrating the greatest comeback story of all times. And, and, and I want you to leave here this morning with this on your mind, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares one thing, and you can be guaranteed of this, that there is no setback from which you cannot come back. And so think about the setbacks that you have had in your life, and maybe some of you right now are still stuck because of a setback that you've had. And we want to look at the story here that we're going to wrap up this series in, and it's there in John 21, and it's a story of a man named Peter. In fact, it's a fishing story. So we start with a golf story, now we go to a fishing story. All the, all the sports people here, this is all for you, okay? You know the story. Jesus dies, he's crucified, he's risen, and he makes some brief spot appearances to his disciples, but they're not sure what to do, so what do they do? They go back to what they knew. Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus, three years prior, so what does he do? He goes back to Galilee. He pulls out the boats and he gets back on them and he goes fishing. And he says, I'm going out to fish. This is in John chapter 21. And the other disciples said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. Not a great fishing story so far. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, again, he's, he's died, he's crucified. They're not sure what's going on. And, uh, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And so he calls out to them while they're in the boat, maybe about 100 yards away from the shore. And he says, hey, guys, have you caught any? And I don't know if he was teasing them or not, because he would have known the answer, right? And they said, no. And he said, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because such a large number of fish. It goes on, it says, and when the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that it is the Lord, he, 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 he jumped out of the boat and he took off and jumped in the water to get to shore because he was so eager to see Jesus. And the other disciples followed in the boat, doing their best to pull the net to shore about 100 yards, they were there. And when they landed, there was a fire, coals, some fish. Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. Peter, eager to please, climbs back into the boat, drags the net to shore, and it was full of large fish. In fact, 153 large fish. 
But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. I, I would think on the shores of Galilee today, there's still a sign that says, record-breaking catch, 153 large fish. <clears throat> but they, did, they knew it was Jesus, but they didn't ask that it was Jesus. And Jesus gave them some bread and some fish. So, but this is a comeback story. Now, to really appreciate really the glory of a comeback story, you got to understand the setback first, right? It's not until you know how bad it was, you can't appreciate how good it was. So let me just tell you Peter's story in four brief parts. Peter met Jesus in the same spot about three years earlier. Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 5. He again, with his partners in the fishing business that he had, uh, uh, James and John, and they, they had another all night long fishing expedition, and again, they caught nothing. They come into shore in the morning, they're tired. They see this teacher, rabbi, this person. They might have heard about him, but a lot of other people had. So they'd followed Jesus because he had been doing some things and miracles and teaching. So he said to them, Hey, can I get in your boat? I need a place from which to be able to speak to the people. So he gets in the boat and gets offshore and he speaks to the people. And then afterwards, he says to Peter, he says, hey, get back in your boat and go out and fish some more. And Peter says, they're not biting, caught nothing. But he does it anyhow. He goes out, puts his net down. And when he does another huge catch, or the first time he had such a huge catch of fish. And Peter saw what was happening. He heard what Jesus had said, and he falls to his knees, and he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. It was a miracle. It was a sign. It was, it was one of those glory signs of God. And James and John uh, were there with him, and then Jesus said to Simon, he says, don't be afraid, Simon Peter. He said, don't be afraid because from now on, you are going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up, put them on shore, and they left it behind and they followed Jesus. And for three years, they followed Jesus. And they saw the miracles and they heard his teachings and the more and more they saw him and heard him and followed him, they realized he wasn't just another rabbi. He wasn't just another teacher. He was something more than that. And one day Jesus is with them and he says to them, he says, tell me, who do people say that I am? What's the crowd saying? Who do they think I am? And he said, well, some think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some think you're Elijah come back from the dead. Some think you're Jeremiah. Others think you're one of our prophets. But then he says to them, but you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, 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 and Jesus at that point says to him, you know what, Peter, I tell you this. This wasn't revealed to you by, by men, but this is revealed to you by God. I tell you that you are Peter, the name Petros, meaning stone or rock in Greek, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. Jesus is giving him his commission, his mission, that he was going to be this, this, the leader of the church, the followers of the way, that Jesus was going to begin this movement, and Peter was going to be the one to whom he would pass the baton. 
So Peter was all in. He was a natural leader. He was outspoken. He was, he was impetuous. He was hard-charging. And then the last night, they had a meal together. You know the story. Passover meal. Jesus breaks the bread. This is my body, which is for you. He passes the cup. This is my blood that is spilled for you, shed for you. This is the new promise, the new covenant that God is making with you. And I'm not going to be with you very much longer. Well, where are you going to go? I'll go with you wherever you go, Peter says. Well, Peter, you, you may, but before that happens, you're going to deny me. No, no, no. I will never deny. I will, be, I will die for you, Peter says. One of you will betray me. All of you will deny me. Not me, Peter says. He is all in for Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, before morning and the rooster crows, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. Never. You know the story. He gets arrested. He goes to the high priests. Peter and the disciples are afraid that they may get arrested, so they're kind of hiding in the shadows. What's going to happen to Jesus? They weren't sure what's going to go on. They didn't think the crucifixion wasn't even in their mind. They follow, and then Peter is standing outside the high priest's place when Jesus is in there with this mock trial going on. And while he is standing there, there he's warming himself by a fire, and a servant girl sees Peter outside the residence and says, you aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? Peter says, no, I'm not. A little bit later, he's standing there warming himself. They, they ask him again, uh, you are one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it again, saying, I'm not. And then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off, challenged him and said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter again denied it. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. And Jesus' words landed like a ton of bricks in Peter's conscience. And he was filled with remorse. What a setback for him. Have you ever had a setback? Maybe it was a spiritual setback. Maybe it was a moral setback. Maybe it was a health-related setback, a job-related setback, whatever it is. This was Peter's big setback. We've all had them. We've all had those moments where in church we're saying, oh God, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, and by the end of the week we've just blown it royally. That's what Peter did. Many people are familiar with that. I think we've all experienced that in our lives from time to time. And so Peter watched from a distance as they sent Jesus to Pilate, the governor. He doesn't know what to do with Jesus. He didn't commit any crimes, but the people are adamant. Crucify him, crucify him. The crowd is yelling, who do you want? Give us Barabbas. And, and it was as if this avalanche just started falling down upon Jesus and Peter and the disciples were helpless to stop it. And before long, Pilate washed his hands of the whole situation and said, he's yours, go ahead. And before noon, they had nailed Jesus to the cross and hung him up there and he died. 
Peter, the disciples, their whole future, their whole life, everything they had left their nets to follow just died with him there. And Peter did nothing to stop that avalanche from taking place by standing up for Jesus. They hide out. They don't know what to do. Sabbath day comes, it goes. Next morning, you know the story. We read it. The women go. They come back. Peter and John run. He's not here. He's risen. Go back where you came from. He'll meet with you. He made a couple spot appearances. And then this story today that we began by reading, they go back to fishing because what else are you going to do? Go back to the fallback career. Jesus isn't good enough. Go back to the old things you were doing. And so they went back to their fallback career and their fishing. And then you see the story here. But then after breakfast, this is, this is the comeback for Peter. Jesus calls them aside. And he asks them a series of questions, actually the same question in different ways, but three times he says, Peter, Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than the others? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He's trying to convince Jesus that he, he, he wants to be there for him. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. A little bit later, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, I'm asking you, take care of the sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked them three times, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. Why did Jesus ask him three times? Perhaps it was because Peter denied him three times. He wanted to give him ample opportunity to let him know that he loves him. And he also wanted to give him ample opportunity to say, Peter, your story's not over. What I told you before, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church that you're going to be the leader of. I still have that plan for you. I want you to be the one to help lead this movement because I'm not going to be here much longer. That was the comeback story. But the real comeback story took place on the day of Pentecost. And Acts chapter 2 tells the story. Peter, the 120, they're in the upper room. Jesus is ascended into heaven. It had been days since they had heard anything about Jesus. Any appearances have been made. He said, I'll send you this gift. I'll, I'll send my spirit. They wait. day of Pentecost comes. The spirit falls on them. The people that are crowded there, they hear what's going on. These people speaking in the languages of the people from all around the town, telling them, praising God, glorifying God. What's the meaning of this? Are they drunk? Whatever. Peter, the one who denied Jesus, gets up boldly in the middle of Jerusalem and he begins to say to them this stuff. He said, you know, this Jesus, this Jesus, we followed him. You crucified him. You took his life. God raised him to life. We were witnesses of him. And let Israel be assured of this, it says. God has made Peter preaching this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. By the end of his message, the people are saying, what do we do about this? What do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too can receive the Holy Spirit. 
And that day, the church was born. 3,000 people plus get baptized. And the way, the movement, they called them the followers of the way. Jesus says, I'm the way. What's the way? The way of Jesus is the way. So we're going to follow the way of Jesus. That's the eternal life way. That's the way to eternal life. So he leads this movement. And he becomes the leader of the church. So Peter had a lot to learn still. God had a lot to work on for him, as he does for all of us. But it was 30 years or so later, Peter's writing. By this time, the movement had grown exponentially. It had broken beyond the walls of Jerusalem. It had gone to Samaria and Judea and the other most parts of the year, Judea and Samaria, and spread out. And Paul, the apostle, started reaching the Greek-speaking people and the non-Jewish people and the church is growing. And, and, and because it becomes so popular, because it was growing so drastically, the leadership was threatened by this movement that wasn't authorized by either the Caesar or by the religious people of their day. So they started clamping down on it and uh, people were being persecuted. People were dying for their faith. They were being arrested and Peter writes a letter to them, First Peter. And this is what he says. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. A living hope. What's the difference between a living hope and a dead hope? A living hope means... This hope that we are now living with is helping guide our life today, here and now. It's not about a hope for when we die. It's about a hope for how we live now while we're alive. It's about a hope that conquers fear and hatred. It's about a hope that believes that resurrections are still possible. It's about a hope that says, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, that's not the end of your story. There's more on store for you. It's a living hope that changes the way you see the world around you. And it's not a glass half empty. It's a glass half full because we have a living hope. We live with this hope. We don't live in fear. We live in hope. <clears throat> Through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Yes, there is a heaven that we will inherit. It is guaranteed. It is undefiled. It's imperishable. It is yours. The government can't take any of the taxes from it. It's all yours. You can have it. And the power this, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be real in the last time. And then he goes on, he says, in this knowledge you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, can we say setbacks? These setbacks will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you don't, <clears throat> don't see him now, you believe and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Did you, did you catch this? Because what I see in this, he says, you know what? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us hope. A hope 
to live by, as I said. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that guarantees our inheritance, that, that, that this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, it's unfailing. This inheritance, this resurrection gives us courage. And, and I believe it's courage because he says it gives us faith. Do you know that faith is not for the weak-minded people? Faith is for people who believe that God's going to use them to do something great. Faith to believe that God can bring them back from whatever setback they've had. Faith to believe that there's more in store for them in this living time to be able to make a difference in the world. And it takes courageous people to be able to do something. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can point fingers. Anybody can say that this is not the way that should be done. But it takes courageous people that have faith to stand up and say, I see a problem and I'm going to have faith to believe that that problem can be fixed. Because I believe in the power of the resurrection. And it takes courage to have faith, folks. It's not for weak-minded people. It's just, oh, I want to hold on until I die. It's faith to be able to live while they live with courage. And that kind of life gives you a joy that you cannot have if you don't have that kind of faith. We used to sing a song. Some of you oldies can remember it. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're not going to sing it. <laughs> but that's what we have. That's what we have. And so before we leave this morning, I just want to ask a couple questions. It's really the now, now what? You know, the so what is, is, is this resurrection is for us. The now what is, what do I do with the setback that I have? Because I believe the resurrection teaches that there is no setback from which we cannot come back. And so we need to ask the question, what setback is holding you back? I love what Corey Tin Boom says, I quote all the time, one of the first books I ever read as a believer. Here she is in the middle of a concentration camp and she says, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no setback that you have gone through that God doesn't understand and God can't bring you out of. And I look around this room this morning and I'm looking at faces. Every one of these faces has a story. Everybody has a story. And everybody has setbacks in your story. And I might not know your particular story, but I know many of them. And I'm looking at people who know firsthand the pain of a setback. Setbacks always come in the form of a loss. And I look at people and I see those. You've lost a loved one, parent, spouse. You've lost a child. I, I, I look at some of you and I say, here's somebody that, man, they lost their career. I see some of you and I say, you know, you lost your sobriety. Others, I can say, you know, you lost your integrity. Maybe you lost your marriage. Maybe you've lost your health. And maybe you've lost hope. But I look in these faces of people who have had setbacks and because of the spirit of the Savior that restored Peter after he had his setback and his failure, it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. 
Your setback does not need to be the end of your story. Yes, life may be different. Yes, life might go on with you walking with a limp, but that does not mean that your life is over. And with Christ in your heart and eternity as your destiny, you, many of you are finding the courage to live until you die. And so I have to ask it, what setback is holding you back? And if today on Resurrection Sunday, we cannot believe that the resurrection means that we can come back, then you're going to be stuck in that setback for a long time to come. So my question then is, are you ready for a comeback? Are you ready for a comeback? Are you ready for a comeback? Because it's not too late to come back from whatever it is that set you back. Because of the greatest comeback story of all times. So what? It means everything to us today. Now what? I'm ready to let the Spirit of Christ fill me as it filled Peter, as it filled the church, as it filled all of us, and empower me to believe that there's more in store for me to help make this world a better place until Jesus takes me to the ultimate place. And I'm going to live with a living hope until I die and receive that inheritance and those words that say, well done. Not well believing, not well holding on until I came. Well done. That means doing. Well done. Well done. Well, so what are you doing? Where's your comeback coming from? It has to come from the Lord. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know everybody's story, and even if I think I know your story, there's parts of your story that I do not know. But you know, and you know what's holding you back from being all in for the Lord. You know what's holding you back from saying, Jesus, I believe that I don't need to use this setback as an excuse anymore. I don't need to be stuck anymore. I believe that you want me to come back because you, God, you, God, love the glory of a comeback story, and I want to be a comeback story. So, God, I pray for everybody in this room right now, every one of us, not just the person next to me and next to the other. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me right now that we can believe that we are a comeback story that God wants to shout about. And so if you want to come back, if you want to be that, I just want you to open your heart right now Open your heart, open your mind, open your soul and say, may the resurrected Christ, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, may Christ, may that spirit come into my life and give me a living hope. Give me a new hope. Give me a new start. There's no setback from which you cannot come back and the resurrection guarantees that. So let's just believe it. Let's walk in it. Let's have faith. Let's move forward and let's make this world a better place. So I pray for anybody here that needs the faith to believe that God believes in them even when they don't believe in themselves. That God believes that they have a future. May they believe that God believes in them and accept that for themselves. Help us, Jesus, to walk out of those things that have us trapped. 
Help us to walk out of those things that hold us, the lies of the enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Help us to break free from whatever tombs that we find ourselves in today and walk out into the light of God. May the spotlight shine on every one of us, I pray, and guide us in the way of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.